0: You're listening to... Whoa! Potluck!
1: Potluck! And welcome to Books M. Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Martin Yeh.
0: I'm Ri Yu,
1: And we are here today for our mid-month book news check-in for April 2021. April, right? It's April right now. Is it, it is
0: April. Okay. Wow. Time. Time has no meaning.
1: <laughs> oh my God. We're like a third of the way through the year already.
0: Can you believe that uh like API Heritage Month is next month? Wow. Actually, not even like next month. It's like in two in weeks. In a few <laughs> weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should probably figure out what we're doing for that.
0: How about we we? not say that we don't have anything planned for our (laughs) listeners? (laughs) I feel like all of us should just take a month off. Like, after all the stuff that happened to Asian Americans this past year and uh, the the first quarter of this year, just we need a month long vacation. No, we
1: have an excuse. You know, why are you taking the month off? It's Asian American Heritage Month. We deserve time off.
0: But we are here to talk about book deals and book news in the publishing world of Asian American literature.
1: Yeah, uh, we got a bunch of book deal announcements to go through. So let's get started. Uh, Rira, what's our first deal?
0: So our first deal is Disney Hyperion acquired world rights to In Every Generation by Kendara Blake, the author of the Three Dark Crowns series. In Every Generation is a new YA trilogy set in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer universe. In a world with many slayers, the new Sunnydale rebuilt on top of the old Sunnydale, one girl and a werewolf and a demon must stop the Hellmouth from reopening and defeat the forces of evil bent on destroying everything and everyone she loves, including her aunt Buffy. First book is set for winter 2022.
1: Wow. So like Buffy the Next Generation.
0: Yeah. Did you watch Buffy?
1: I watched on and off. I wasn't a a dedicated watcher, but... I remember enjoying it when I did.
0: I I think I watched all of the seasons except for the last one because I uh, heard about the ending and I was like, nope, that's not in my canon. I'm not gonna watch that.
1: I know it got weird, and not that we should mention his name, but the guy who created it, um, he doesn't. He's end the worst, well, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, he's also a bad human being with yeah. all of the harassment and like. The way he treated his writers and also his actresses, horrible person. We're not gonna na- we're not gonna name him on this podcast. <laughs> but I am very glad that Kanara Blake, um, a writer of color, is continuing this universe and taking all the good things from it and yeah. making like making a series out of it.
1: I mean, her Three Dark Crown series is about like badass women. You know, like
0: yeah, she's the perfect writer for this.
1: Yeah. All right. Next up, Random House Graphic acquired. Next stop by debut author Debbie Fong. This middle grade contemporary graphic novel follows Pia as she deals with her brother's death and embarks on a magical road trip that changes her life. Publication is planned for 2023.
0: Ooh, a road trip book, but it has magic in it. Yeah,
1: and middle grade contemporary graphic novel. I love that we're, you know, making more content for younger readers because it's never too early to have representation in media.
0: And also graphic novels are a great way for uh, non-readers or hesitant readers <laughs> to get into reading. Yeah. Um, I know like growing up, a lot of teachers are like, that's not like comics are not reading. Manga is not reading, but it is. So it is. I'm glad that like we're seeing more uh, graphic novels for kids.
1: I once wrote a book report on a JRPG and my teacher said that's not um, video games don't have real stories. And I'm like, what? Oh
0: what um i probably read like
1: 10 novels worth of text from this game okay
0: yeah i mean like most video games they're they're like 600 pages in script writing (laughs) like i remember there was a class on video game writing uh like right like when i graduated and i was like why did i not get to take this class (laughs) sounds amazing but you know like video games have changed a lot over the years Anyway, next up, Little Brown bought at auction, This Is Not My Home, as well as an untitled second book by debut author-illustrator duo, Vivian Chang and Eugenia Yeo. This picture book features a girl whose family moves to Taiwan and learns how a new place can become her home. Publication is set for winter 2023. Yeah, that sounds cute. Moving back to the motherland, I'm guessing... Yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, like that's that's rough on a kid.
1: I like that there's um, you know stories for, um you know, third culture kids, too, because that's that's a perspective in our community that we don't usually get a perspective into. So, yeah, congrats to Vivian and Eugenia. Um, Next up, Knopf has acquired world rights to A Garden in My Hands, written by Miras Ram and illustrated by Sanya Prabhat. In this picture book, an Indian American girl's mother applies intricate henna designs to her hands as she recounts family memories and stories. Publication is planned for spring 2023.
0: So, next up, Levine Querido acquired in an exclusive submission world rights to 49 days by New York Times Metropolitan Diary illustrator Agnes Lee. This YA graphic novel debut is inspired by a Buddhist belief regarding death and the afterlife and is about a Korean-American girl who has died and must journey for 49 days. Publication is scheduled for 2023. Ooh. 49 days. Yeah, that's like a Korean funeral thing. I'm so guilty because I don't know anything about Korean funerals, <laughs> uh, despite the fact that like I've had People die in my family and I went to their funerals.
1: Yeah, I mean, usually there's like a funeral director that walks you through the process. So I know the steps, but if you ask me to like do it from my own memory, I would have no idea how to conduct any of these ceremonies.
0: I know that like with... um Like I, both of my grandfathers passed away. Um, For one grandfather, it was like a very traditional burial, like with like the white humboks and like the parade and like the traditional grave. And then with my other grandfather, it was like very modern because it was in Seoul. Mm. So yeah, I don't know how like funeral culture has uh, like retained some of the traditions nowadays. But I'm like really interested in reading this book because maybe I'll be able to learn more about uh, funeral customs and uh, <laughs> sounds because it's a graphic novel. I'm really interested in seeing the illustrations as well.
1: Yeah. All right. Next up, Philomo bought New School Skirmish, the first in the Irisano Prankmaster General Middle Grade series of books by Zoe Tokushige. Uh, the first book features sixth-grade prankster Iri Sano, a Japanese-American military brat who always gets in trouble at school until she meets a teacher who gets to the heart of her troubles. Unearthing an unaddressed learning disability and a spirited kid trying to find her way when the world keeps changing. Publication is set for summer 2022.
0: This sounds interesting because um, it's about like learning about a disability. Uh, I feel like with a lot of schools, uh, with the structure and the rigor... Not a lot of accommodations for kids with learning disabilities, and they're usually labeled as troublemakers. So I am, I, I think this is a pretty important book in the in the canon of um, middle grade
1: books. Yeah, now that we know more about the different ways people learn, um, it's cool to see these perspectives get also represented on on the page.
0: All right, next up, Little Brown bought world rights to bake infinite pie with x plus y by acclaimed mathematician and author Eugenia Cheng, and it's going to be illustrated by Amber Wren. The picture book is about X and Y who are determined to bake infinite pie with uber-smart Aunt Z by using math to bake their way to success. Publication is slated for winter 2022.
1: Oh, God. It's like a nightmare. It's like my math homework come to life and living with... in, in my brain.
0: With with infinite pi, because you know math yeah. pi. For those who don't know math, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because pi is a number that goes on to infinity. Yeah. Three point one four oh, one. How many how many digits of pi can you memorize? I have three three digits of pi. That's that's my limit right there.
0: I've thrown out all math knowledge the moment I entered college. So <laughs> I don't know.
1: All right. Next up. Knopf has acquired, at auction, World rights to Everyone Loves Lunchtime But Zia and its sequel by Jenny Liao and illustrated by Dream Chen. The author's debut picture book follows Zia, a Chinese-American girl who learns to appreciate her heritage when she brings foods from her culture to school. Publication is planned for spring 2023. Maybe it's Jia. I'm iffy on the pinging there, but um, looks like it's a spin on the lunchtime story, hopefully with a more positive. Spend. i mean
0: everyone knows that we have the best food so
1: <laughs> yeah hopefully kids these days are more enlightened right so we don't get as much lunchtime moments as, as we I mean did
0: asian before. snacks too i feel like kids nowadays they they like love asian snacks like bring on the shrimp chips and like the pocky and like the rice cookies
1: yeah they've seen the light
0: or their parents have seen the light <laughs> All right. so next up, Random House acquired two untitled middle-grade novels by Tay Keller, the author of the 2021 Newbery Medal-winning novel, When You Trap a Tiger. The first story is told from the perspectives of three friends, each asking big questions about their identity and future. Their quest to find a mysterious book soon leads them to realize that answers, and friendship, are rarely ever easy. Publication of the two novels is set for 2023 and
1: 2024. Uh, next up, Page Street Kids acquired world rights to The Best Kind of Mooncake by debut author-illustrator Pearl Ouyang, with Kayla Tostevin editing. Uh, based on a true story, this picture book centers on the arrival of a hungry stranger at a street market community in British-occupied Hong Kong. Publication is scheduled for fall 2022. Ooh. Wow. Lots to unpack there. Yeah, I wonder how much they'll go into the whole, you know, British occupation, colonialism, imperialism thing. But um, mooncakes are always good, too.
0: What is your opinion of the best kind of mooncake? What makes a good mooncake for you?
1: I think, I mean, I'm kind of boring. I like a standard mooncake and just like red bean paste in the middle. I don't like the salted egg. I know some people do, but I don't like salted egg in my mooncake
0: how dare you no like i've never i've never had a mooncake before or like the chinese traditional mooncake before so Mm. i don't have an opinion all right (laughs) next up amazon 2 lions bought world rights at auction to ani dreams of biryani written by namita mulani mehra and illustrated by chaya Prapat, plus a second untitled picture book by the author Set in Little India, the first picture book follows a cooking-obsessed girl who is determined to uncover the secrets to the best biryani recipe in the world. Publication is set for summer 2022.
1: Man, biryani sounds real good right now.
0: Oh my god, I'm so hungry. <laughs> I have not eaten lunch yet, so. Mm. Of course, all Asian books have really good food descriptions. So, <laughs> uh, Bad decision on my part.
1: Next up, in a four-book deal, Scholastic Branches bought world rights to Pets Rule, written by Susan Tan and illustrated by Wendy Tan Xiaowei. In this early chapter book series, a chihuahua named Ember has grand plans for world domination and assembles a group of minions made up of other pets to help him rule the neighborhood. Publication of the first book is slated for summer 2022. I'm getting it's like Pinky of... in the brains vibe yeah. from this.
0: It kind of reminds me of like cats versus dogs. I don't know if you've (laughs) ever seen that horrible movie, but Uh, it's about like cats who are trying to dominate the world and the dogs are part of like this like secret organization that are kind of like CIA and they try to stop the cats from dominating the world. So kind of reminds me of that.
1: But now it's reversed. The dog is trying to take over the world.
0: Of course, it's a chihuahua. It's always going to be like the smallest dog that wants to take over the world.
1: You know, it's kind of like picking the brain. They kind of look like small rats, right? Like little rat dogs. I just, I just offended we apologize all chihuahua to all, lovers.
0: We apologize to all <laughs> chihuahua lovers. Uh, so next up, Knopf has acquired at auction world rights for "How We Say I Love You," written by debut author Nicole Chen and illustrated by Lenny Wen. In this picture book, a Taiwanese American girl's family expresses the love they feel for each other through their actions rather than through their words. Publication is slated for fall twenty twenty two. You yes know, to this how we <laughs> say i love you asian families where we often do not say i love you verbally i mean
1: i've so my family is pretty affectionate which i realize now is not the norm apparently
0: yeah same here like i mean with my my parents they say i love you often yeah um so i mean a lot of korean families say i, lo- I love you often maybe it's just like a
1: I don't know. It depends
0: on what kind of Asian you
1: are. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what it is about. Because it's, I mean, the um the story is around enough that it is a trope and it is like generally accepted stereotype for Asian families. But I, it's just not my experience. But I do know it is for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And it's good for like kids to learn that their parents do love them. And, yeah. you know, just because they don't say I love you like their uh, other like other children in, in their class, like. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good to have like a reference saying, "Hey, it's okay. Like your parents still love you, even though they don't say it verbally."
1: Yeah, it's like um, it's like the the seventh love language or the sixth love language, which is you know, nonverbal food.
0: It's not cooking. "I love you." It's "Have you eaten?" <laughs>
1: Pretty much. All right. Next up, Fable and Friends bought. Don't Fall in Love, as well as a second untitled novel from Adiba Jagadar, um, author of The Henna Wars. Um, This pun-filled YA contemporary romance follows Shireen, a Bangladeshi-Irish girl still healing from a breakup with her ex-girlfriend, and who can think of nothing better to do than to win the Junior Irish Baking Show, a British Bake Off-style reality competition, even if it means competing against her ex and another contestant she may be falling for. Publication is set for Spring 2023 and Spring 2024, respectively.
0: 10 out of 10 for the title, Fall Fallen Love. I love uh, cooking competitions in books, and I used to really love Great British Bake Off until uh, some political stuff happened in that show. <laughs> so I am excited to read this book, yeah. uh, especially since it's also a romance. And yeah. it's a queer romance, too.
1: Yeah, it sounds messy, which, um, which always bodes well for these stories, right?
0: That's true. There's a lot of meltdowns and in, in, like, cooking competitions yeah all right so next up orchid has bought world rights in an exclusive submission to the little old lady who ate leftovers by melissa de la cruz and illustrated by primo Gayanosa. inspired by the oswang vampires of filipino mythology de la cruz's picture book debut follows doña esmeralda a little old lady who has to eat children's leftovers until she's had enough of scraps and decides to eat everything in her path. Publication is set for summer
1: 2022. Ooh. Seems kind of dark, huh?
0: I mean, vampires. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of fairy tales and folk tales have, like, dark themes, and this is based on Filipino mythology. I know that there's a lot of monsters in Filipino mythology, so...
1: Yeah, congrats to Melissa on on the new book. Uh next up, Barefoot Books has bought world rights to Zara's Blessing: A Ramadan Story by Shirin Shamsi and illustrated by Manal Mirza. Uh when Zara sees the Ramadan moon, she wishes for a sister, but she never dreams that volunteering with her mother at a refugee center might help her wish come true. Publication is slated for spring 2022.
0: Uh happy Ramadan to to everyone. I mean, as of this recording, Ramadan is still happening. Yeah. Alright, next up, Little Brown has Acquired As Long As the Lemon Trees Grow by Zolfa Kato. Pitch for fans of The Book Thief and Salt to the Sea, the speculative YA novel set amid the Syrian revolution follows Salama Kasab, a teenager who must learn to see the events around her for what they truly are—not a war, but a revolution—and decide how she, too, will cry for Syria's freedom— Publication is scheduled for fall 2022. Wow. Yeah, like we've read like the map of Salt and Stars and um, that was about like Syrian refugees I'm glad that we're getting another book by an author of Syrian descent. I think we definitely need more of those.
1: Yeah. Um, so our last book deal is um, Putnam Acquired North American Rights to City of Orange by David Yoon, um, the author of Frankly in Love. Um, Yoon's first adult novel is an intimate tale about a man who wakes up alone and injured in a post-apocalyptic landscape and must find his way home. Um, no publication date yet, but um, congrats to David Yoon on on his first adult novel.
0: This sounds grim. And kind of terrifying, probably not a good read for uh the pandemic but the pandemic will be over by 2022 <laughs> yeah, and 2023
1: uh if, you know hopefully it will be a book
0: wood. about how we like we can celebrate how we got past an apocalyptic event <laughs> in our economy
1: yeah and yeah those are the new publishing deals for April 2021. Um, let's move on to some book news. Um, we had a couple of stories come out over the last few weeks. So uh, Rira, what's our first story?
0: All right. So our first story is Stacy Lee achieved her first New York times bestseller with the paperback edition of the downstairs girl. And We've talked about Stacy Lee on this podcast several times. She is the queen of uh Chinese American history, uh novels, particularly for middle grade and young adult. Uh The Downstairs Girl is about a Chinese American woman in uh in Georgia, like I think in like the 1850s. I don't remember like the exact date but it was like really cool because it's like an actual asian person in like a southern bell town and you don't really see that in media yeah so it took her 6 years to become a new york times best selling author like how like how <laughs> dare they yeah like how does that happen she's such a prolific author and i i don't know it just She's paid her dues. I can't believe it took her this long to to get that recognition.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know the specifics on how these lists work, but, you know, I assume there's a lot of under the table stuff going on with whenever it comes to like promoting media. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of marketing has to like come through, like yeah. how are people supposed to know about your book and how are critics supposed to uh, review your books without having access to it so there's a lot of like politics and
1: yeah yeah i know we talked before we started recording that we're not gonna go too deep into the twitter drama but you know this has been a topic of conversation in the world of like asian american book literature or people in color book twitter in general um which is um like the disparity between promoting books by let's say white authors and non-white authors
0: yeah and just like Yeah, I don't really want to go too in deep about it, but just like how unwelcoming uh, the publishing landscape can be to BIPOC authors, uh, especially debuted BIPOC authors. Um, There's been uh, whispers about how uh, a lot of like influential white authors, uh, they would like have um, like a secret chat where they would pretty much like dunk on uh, BIPOC authors and uh, really just uh, degrade and diss their work. And that's really sad to me that, you know, it's like I can understand the industry, like the publishers and like the editors, but like having fellow authors who know how hard it is to get published, how to get represented, uh, even if they are like non-marginalized, like why would you do that? like why would you punch down it's it just like baffles me that like someone thinks that that is okay yeah yeah and then there's also this issue of um like non-asian authors taking from our culture and profiting off of it and uh just not giving back to the community at all i can i can list a couple of authors on the top of my head i'm not going to mention them but they have written some really problematic uh, stuff on Asian American culture and a lot of stereotypes that are wrong and just like blatantly, um, you know, saying that they are doing this for representation and it's like, how, how (laughs) dare you, you do not represent us. Like how, like you don't know our struggles and even if you do, it's from secondhand information and you need to know that we're not a monolith and, Just, like, the idea of, uh, like, you know, like, there was this idea of, like, if you don't like the book, if you find it problematic, like, just don't read it. And I say, fuck no to that. And I think a lot of people agree with me (laughs) that uh, now it's, like, enough is enough. Like, these problematic children's books, they kind of foster early systemic racism and, you know, like... We just have to do better as like a publishing industry and uh, BIPOC voices deserve to be uplifted, not just when tragedy happens, not just when people get murdered. Um, It's really unfortunate that like after the Atlanta shootings, I was really glad that there were reading lists that were being shared. Um, I'm really glad that our stop Asian hate reading list got shared a lot. But. I really hate the fact that um, it just took a tragedy for people to actually notice us. And uh, just, like, looking on social media, a lot of that support is evaporating, and it, it just feels like everything is going back to the way it was, and our our voices are just not... It's just going back to being, uh, like, ignored, yeah, or at least, like, not considered like an important problem
1: i think yeah i i think we, we see this a lot you know support comes in waves and you know this for better or worse our pop culture is based all around trend right it's what's hot right now and i think the challenge for like culture makers is to how do we how do we make it so that diverse stories are just standard right when when can we like you know when can we stop calling them diverse when can we just call them you know american stories or you know normal stories about people it's easy to think that we've made so much progress because like compared to maybe like a decade ago there are a lot more options now but if you look at the big picture we're still just a drop in the bucket right like we go through our book news every month and there's so many book deals coming out and it feels like there's a lot but really like when you actually go in and you're pulling these stories it's like every one out of every 10 is what we're pulling from, right? It's it's not, it's, it, it feels like there's a lot, but it's still just like a drop in the bucket.
0: Yeah, like I also collect uh, new releases for work. So I know what is coming out like almost every week, uh, depending on how busy I am. And there'll be like maybe one or two titles by an mm-hmm. Asian author out of that list. And uh, they're, they're like 95% of the time, in, like, the children's and, like, YA genres. And it's, like, where are all of the adult books? Where are all of the literary works by authors of color, by Asian authors? And when I do see them, it's, it's like, I don't know. I don't want to say typical, but it, they're issue books. Or they're, like, multi-generational sagas. And, of course, I love books like Pachinko, for example, and I think it's really important to have those books, but at the same time, like if that is the only type of story that I'm seeing, like every week <laughs> or every month, I guess because not every week those types of books come out, that that is a problem. And I think Lee and Low did a survey last year, and it was like four percent of books that were published in the last like five years were by authors of color and then i think it was like two percent that was like actually people who who were like i don't think it was even like asian authors i think it was just non-black authors and that's that's just like a travesty like how (laughs) like you you would think that things have gotten better but um it's only
1: marginally right it's just
0: yeah marginally and i hate the fact that they're like the the idea that diversity is a trend it's like oh like you guys are so hot right now because own voices and diverse books they like have so many resources and it's like yeah we have those resources because they didn't exist earlier and there was a need for them <laughs> And for like non BIPOC authors to try and creep into that space, trying to um, profit off of saying like this is an own voices work, this is a diverse work because there's a character who is not white, and it's like that's not the definition of an own voices work, (laughs) but they get all of the marketing and support from big publishers, and I don't know. It's just that that one male white author who shall not be named, who said that he researched his book by eating Pocky and sleeping with, like, a volume of Akira, the manga, and just, like, watching a lot of Akira Kurosawa movies. I'm just like, that's not... That's not research.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, I think the bar was lower back then right like wasn't the story that the writers of disney's aladdin did their market research by going to like an arabic like trade show or something but this
0: but this author is like the interview that he said all of this was like back in like 2015 Ooh. not even like that long ago
1: yeah that's pretty that's pretty messed it's up. pretty
0: It's pretty bad and <laughs> just i don't know like
1: yeah and it's not an easy problem to solve because it's so entrenched institutionally. It's not just we need more writers, we need more people in publishing, we need more people in marketing, we need more people making those decisions on who and what and where and why to publish. I'd like to think our podcast is helping a little bit by, you know, providing an outlet or probably providing, you know, some a critical voice like i hesitate to say critical voice because i don't think anything i say on this podcast can be even oh, yeah. remotely same, considered as criticism same here. <laughs> but you know um i think there's a reason why we felt a need to do this podcast and it's because there are so many authors that we want to highlight that we want to at least let people know that these books exist because you know for us that one out of ten um publishing announcement is like our it's like our our everything right it's it's what we're here for
0: yeah and a lot of these publishing deals are from like the children's uh right the rights report on publishers weekly and for a lot of like we we've talked about this before but um a lot of these authors are writing books that they didn't have when they were children and that is why they are writing them yeah and uh to them and to also like authors who are from uh, to to readers who are in the same background it is their everything it can be world-changing for them um, now sorry that we like actually no i don't apologize it's, <laughs> this was a very important discussion i wish we can go more in depth with it but i feel like we need to bring someone like Ellen O and um like other authors from like the asian author alliance To talk with us about the subject because they are professionals and they probably have more inside information.
1: Yeah, we probably should bring them on the show. Um, I'll make a note. Bring smart people on show to talk about smart stuff.
0: Bring people who actually know their
1: stuff. All right. All right. Our next piece of news is uh, adaptation news, actually. Um, Park Shan Wuk, the director of The Handmaiden and Old Boy, has signed on to direct a TV adaptation of Viet Tan Nguyen's Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Sympathizer. The uh, adaptation is produced by A24 and Rhombus Media.
0: I screamed when I heard about this because um, Viet Tan Nguyen post, like, tweeted about this before the Deadline article came out. Mm. And I, I He was broke
1: embargo. Like,
0: i think i mean deadline wasn't fast enough what were they doing uh but i'm i'm so excited because is like one of my favorite directors ever uh i love the handmaiden it's probably one of my favorite movies um just like the way that um the story structure is in that in that in that movie and just like how masterful the um, the like editing and uh, just like like everything about that movie is just so well crafted. And old boy, obviously, it's a classic. Um, it's been remade in America. It's really bad. <laughs> Don't watch it. So I like I really believe that he could do uh, the adaptation of The Sympathizer really well because he understands like dark themes. And he's done a period piece. So he seems to have like everything to like yeah. make this work.
1: I think um, I mean it's good that the author is on board as well. Um, you know, ne- none of neither of us are Vietnamese, so um, we can't speak to the how we feel about um a non-Vietnamese director directing the series, but Park Chang wook does have the bona fides and the I guess artistic sense to really make the series like stand out. Um I think those align really well. And, you know, um, the author himself is super excited about it. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it bodes well. Um, still, there's no details on, you know, what the, the series is going to be like, who's being cast in it. But um, it's cool to see, like, our prestige books being adapted on the screen. You know, we're still waiting on more news from the Pachinko a- adaptation. Um, I'm so excited about the fantasy books that I read that are being adapted, like um, Jade City and Poppy War. Um, yeah
0: poppy war got picked up right yeah yeah so we have a lot of um of like asian works that are being adapted right now and pretty soon that means more asian actors more asian directors hopefully
1: i mean hopefully. I, don't, I don't see them like watching the sympathizer i don't know how they can do that but uh, no. for the fantasy ones i'm like okay i know they should know better but in the back of my mind i'm like oh, there's still a chance the
0: thing up. about like the sympathizer, um, like we've talked about this before, how like the Vietnam War being told from like a Western perspective, an American perspective, uh, it's very different from how Vietnamese people view the war. Yeah. And considering that this is an American production, like I wanna give them the benefit of the doubt because Vietnam is going to be involved, and you have Pak Chanuk, who is asian but not vietnamese like we understand like colonization and we understand like uh western imperialism so i'm like i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt but it's like if you think about all of the movies and like the musicals that came out that you know is set in the vietnam war yeah like it's like oh this is very much needed in that canon of of like literature and um yeah. tv and movies we
1: need the anti miss saigon the anti-apocalypse oh, now the anti-ramble two was two of the one in vietnam i don't remember i don't remember <laughs> all right um and our last story of the day it's, it's breaking news as of today's recording We're recording on tuesday april 13th the 2021 hugo awards have been announced um And as we do every year, um, we're going to go down and highlight the Asian and Asian-Americans that have been nominated. Um, So let's go down the list. So our first nomination comes from Best Novella, uh, which is The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nivo, um, which is also a Books and Boba book club pick.
0: Yeah, I really like that novella. So um...
1: I forgot that that was last year because didn't the second book already come out too? the second novella from that series?
0: I don't remember. I just know that Nevo um, <laughs> is working on um, working on a full-length novel, and it's like an Asian twist on The Great Gatsby.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Okay, so next uh, we have, for best short story, The Mermaid Astronaut by Yunha Lee. Yunha Lee is the author of the uh, Nine Fox Gambit series and also the um i think it's a standalone i'm not sure maybe maybe it's not but he, uh they're the author of uh, dragon pearl which is a middle grade sci-fi book
1: yeah um we haven't touched Ninefox gambit yet because um I, I worry that it might be because i've heard it's pretty dense in terms of i've sci-fi. read <laughs> it
0: i've read it and i don't think i can discuss it on the show i am not <laughs> i am not smart enough um i like, I can read pretty fast. And that book took me days to just get through because I was like, what is happening? I am not a hard sci-fi person. You might like it, though, Marvin. It I might have, be your jam.
1: I have it on my bookshelf. I just haven't opened it up yet. But um, yeah, congrats to you, Han Lee. Also nominated for Best Short Story is A Guide for Working Breeds by Vina Jemin Prasad, uh, which was part of a short story collection um, about robots. So congrats to Vina as well for the nomination.
0: All right. Next name that I see on this list is for best series, The Poppy War by R.F. Quang.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm rooting for because that's the only series on this <laughs> on this list that I've read. Congrats to Rebecca on her nomination. And for because last year she was nominated for the Astounding Award, which is not a Hugo. But now she can officially say Hugo nominated author, R.F. Quang Yes. <laughs> Also nominated once again for best graphic story or comic is *Monstrous* Volume Five by Marjorie Liu, illustrated by Sana Takeda. I'm pretty sure Marjorie has won this award for like the last, like since this podcast has been a thing. Marjorie, oh has yeah, won this since award, right?
0: since like 2016, <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously cheering on Marjorie to win again. Yeah. let's not break that streak.
1: There's some there's some tough uh, competition this year though. There's a uh, Octavia Butler oh, adaptation. Yeah. But a Monstrous, still strong. I, I need to catch up on Volume 5. But Monstrous was one of our first book club picks. And, you know, we know how to pick them, right, Rira?
0: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: for Best Dramatic Presentation, Long Form, we have Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, which was um, directed by Kathy Yan and written by Christina Hudson, um two Asian-American women. So congrats to them on the nomination. Um, have you seen Birds of Prey? No, I have not. It's I feel really like boring. I haven't.
0: I haven't watched any TV, you Marvin. Should, I've just been watching out. murder documentaries and <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, like late night shows. So yeah,
1: yeah. Um, for best dramatic presentation, short form, which is TV, we have The Expanse. Gagamela. The Expanse, of course, is showrun by Naren Shankar, who is a South Asian um, veteran of sci-fi television. Um, for best editor, long form, we have Diana Mfo and Sarah Guan. Um, For Best Professional Artist, we have Rovina Tsai. And those are the um, highlights from the Hugo nominations for 2021. Um, Good luck to all of the nominees and congratulations. And yeah, with that, um, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Uh, Rira, as always, thank you for compiling all the great book news uh, from all around the internet for us to report on. Rira, um, what are we reading for April 2021?
0: We are reading How to Pronounce Knife, a short story collection by Suvankam Thamavansa.
1: Yeah, we'll be discussing that book at the end of the month. So please read along. And if you finish, let us know what you think on Goodreads. All right. Thank you for joining us for our mid-month book news review for April 2021. We'll be back next week with an author interview with Mia P. Manasala, um, the author of Arsenic and Adobo. So uh, please look forward to that.
0: All right. Bye, everyone.
1: Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Re Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Booksandboba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to Booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at Booksandboba.com.